Sherry's always such a hard act to follow. I don't have a dog, I don't have props, I don't have any of that stuff. Uh, before we get started, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just rejoice in what you've given us, your amazing provision for us personally, for our church, for uh, your church worldwide. You've given us everything that we need in your word, in Christ, in your Holy Spirit to uh, have a wonderful relationship with you here and to spend all eternity with you. And we're grateful for that. Father, I lift up uh, the needs of our congregation today, those who are uh, discouraged, uh, those who have been emotionally hurt, those who are financially struggling, those who are struggling with uh, health issues and trying to come to an understanding there. We pray that you would, uh, you would bring healing, you would bring comfort, you would bring a joyful spirit as we uh, go through this week. We entrust this uh, service to you this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, read with me, if you would, uh, the text for today, uh, today's sermon. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, as it was mentioned in announcements, Pastor Evan is on vacation this week, and uh, I'm excited about Pastor Evan getting to go on vacation because he's had so many that he's planned in the past, and then uh, illness, uh, a lot of times Elia would get sick and they wouldn't be able to go, so they were able to go this time, and, and I'm happy for them. Um, and before I get started, uh, I'd like to thank all those who helped me prepare this sermon through their participation in the Philippians class, Sunday school class. But at the same time, I'd like to beg their forgiveness for sharing the same stories that they've already heard. So pretend you've never heard them before and uh, we'll proceed. Many years ago, uh, I lived in Norfolk, Nebraska, and I was on a championship church softball team. And Towards the end of the season, we played a uh, team that was one of the smallest churches in town, and it was just a ragtag group of players. Half of them were in street clothes, didn't have uniforms. And we started the game, and immediately they started to spank us big time. They got on us so hard that by the second inning, we were in danger of being uh, eliminated by the 10-run rule. And... Uh, when we got back to the, the dugout then after that, that inning, I quoted Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Now, in the original NIV version, it goes, um, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And uh, so I told the guys, I know we haven't lost a game yet, but we need to humble ourselves because right now um, they're better than us. They're much better. And with those words of inspiration, then we went out and played hard and we won the game. Now, that is not a proper application for this passage. That is not it. I hope this morning, uh, by the grace of God, that we'll be able to share a, uh, sorry, I'm having a little bit of trouble with my microphone, a little more accurate and uh, beneficial description of this passage. So uh, Pastor Evan mentioned the creed from verses 5 through 11 that Paul gives us here in this passage. But uh, in verse 3, Paul sets up that creed by saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, we live in a world of selfish ambition and vain conceit. The services and sacrifices of professional celebrities are the services and sacrifices of ordinary people are ignored in favor of the exploits and demands of our professional celebrities. When I was studying this, I found it interesting that Aristotle used this same Greek word to denote a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Does that sound familiar? How often does the mantle of public servant get exchanged for the mantle of selfish ambition? Uh, another example, in the news this summer, uh, the NCAA passed an NIL rule which means that players now can benefit from their name, image, and likeness. And it could be an interesting fall football season. I mean, how will it affect team sports to have everyone looking out for their own interests and not the good of the team? I know coaches are concerned. Um, and we're not talking about peanuts here. The quarterback for Alabama, he's never started a game yet, but he's already made a million dollars off of the NIL rule. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how well the linemen who don't get anything block for him, won't it? We live in a world that does not honor looking to the interests of others instead of ourselves. That's the world we live in. But you know what? It's not a modern problem. Paul said of Timothy in Philippians 2.20, he says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. So think about that. Paul had already met the apostles at this time. He knew many Christians. Yet he felt like he had no one else he could call on that personally took an interest in others' needs and not in the welfare of others and not, uh, I didn't say that well, he knew a lot of Christians personally, but he singles out Timothy as the only one who takes a genuine interest in the welfare of others. I just think that's a profound phrase that he puts in there. He knew no one else but Timothy who would look out for the interests of others, the interests of Christ and not himself. So in verse 6 of, of the creed that Paul gives us here, he tells us, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a serpent and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. One of the things that I want to make clear this morning, uh, I feel like it's very important to understand that Christ-like humility is not something that we work hard to achieve. It's not the way it works. It is simply a manifestation of the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. We don't make it happen, we let it happen. If the Spirit of Christ is in us, it only makes sense that it would produce in us a Christ-like spirit. And Paul mentions self-ambition, selfish ambition and vain conceit here because they're Holy Spirit blockers. Selfish ambition and vain conceit, they're the opposite of what the Spirit of Christ produces in us. So let's take a moment to consider what Christ has done for us and therefore can be reflected in us. It says that he humbled himself from the position of God Almighty to the servant of unappreciative mankind, even to the point of death in the most cruel fashion. When it says being in the very nature of God, it refers to the fact that Christ had existed even before creation. We're talking about God Almighty, the Creator, coming to earth as a human. He did not consider equality something to be grasped. He did not consider it to be aggressively pursued, is the Greek understanding there, but made himself nothing. Now, a new thought occurred to me as I was studying this. Uh, I'd never thought about Christ as having faith before. But it was his faith in God that enabled him to be only concerned with humbling himself even unto death and leaving the results of that to God the Father. He believed in God that his own personal sacrifice would be used to God's glory. Christ had faith. In fact, the Hebrew writer refers to him as the pioneer and perfecter of faith. As I studied this passage, uh, I also had this question. Could you find it easier to humble yourself to the very depths if you had faith that God was going to raise you up and use it to further his kingdom? 1 Peter 5.5 5, that Peter wrote to the church, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So here's a, a little known fact. Guys hate to lose. I don't know if you realize that, but we do. I hate to lose. And uh, I've been meeting with a, a guy that's been a friend for many years, a pastor from a different church called up and asked me to spend time with him because he was having some struggles in his marriage. And one of the things I asked him the last time we met was, would you be willing to surrender to your wife's opinions and wishes to never win another argument if you knew it was God's will and that he could use that powerfully to further his kingdom? 
Now, it was a profound question for him, and it was a profound question for me. And I have another a question for you. Do you have the faith to believe that God can raise you from that personal death to self and exalt you to the position of a person who powerfully reflects the Spirit of Christ? Do you have the faith to believe that, that God can raise you from dying to self to a position of a person who powerfully reflects the Spirit of Christ? Because that is the very essence of this passage. That's what Paul is sharing with us here. Is it our hesitancy to humble ourselves due to pride, or is it a lack of faith in God? If there are things in your life that you just can't surrender, it's possible that you haven't completely followed the example of Christ and humbled yourself to the point of death on your own personal cross. It's been a long struggle for me in my life, I know. When I first came to Lincoln uh, back in 1990, I went to a different church, and um, it was a, a bigger church. I sang in the choir there, and, but what I really wanted to do is I really wanted to play in the worship band, like really bad. And when I was in high school, I played in a, just briefly in a, in a country group called Country Gospel, and I had this cheap, cheesy little Kingston-based guitar that I bought that I I played with that band in high school. So I started, I broke it out and I started practicing in it. And I practiced and I practiced. And eventually the worship pastor allowed me to play for the Saturday evening services, which were sparsely attended. So I did that for a couple months. And then the day arrived for me to play for Sunday morning worship services. And I got there at eight, before 8 o'clock and I got my cheap, cheesy little Kingston bass guitar out and I got ready to rehearse with the band before the service, and in walked a music major from the university with a Warwick bass. Now, if you know bass guitars at all, Warwick's the Cadillac of bass guitars. And the worship pastor looked at me and he said, Mark, why don't you put your bass in the case and go sing in the choir? <sighs> yeah, it, it was hard for me. Uh, and the next week, I came prepared to play again, and Mr. Music Major with his fancy Warwick shows up, and I put my bass back in the case, and went and sang in the choir, and this went on for a month. And then, Mr. Warwick disappeared. We never saw him again. I was the house bass player there in that church for the worship band for like 20 years, practically every week. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Let's think about what Christ's exaltation means to us. In verse 9, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There's an old expression in our language, uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I don't know where that came from, 
but I know what it means. And that is not what Christ did. He did what God called him to do, and then he entrusted his future to God. It was God who exalted him and restored him to his rightful position. It's what God does. Uh, in Job 42, after uh, 42 chapters, 41 chapters of suffering that Job went through, it says that God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. When we allow the Spirit of Christ to produce humility in us, then God exalts us. It may not be in this life, but in heaven it will be true. Verse 11 uh, tells us who should receive the glory. It's God the Father. What Christ did glorified the Father. And we can never go wrong if what we are doing gives rightful glory to God the Father. As you go about your daily lives, you can think about that. Is what I'm doing glorifying God? If it is, I'm on the right track. But there's also a promise in this passage. God has promised that someday every knee will bow before him and every tongue will acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. All those who arrogantly scoff at the idea of God will someday humbly acknowledge their need for a savior. How much better to make that decision now than when facing the throne of judgment? I would invite you to make that decision today if you haven't already made it. Simply pray to God saying, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I want to accept the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. I want to accept him as my savior. I'm choosing to give my life to him and follow where he leads. I'd really encourage you to make that decision if you haven't already made it. So we've looked at the uh, humility of Christ and the exaltation of Christ, but I feel like there's a, a, a deeper message within this passage. And that is what Christ has done, his spirit longs to produce in us. The spirit of Christ longs to produce in us what Christ did. What this means is an interaction with us will be no different than having an interaction with Christ. I hope that makes sense. An interaction with us should be no different than having an interaction with Christ. So can you imagine church functions where everyone is completely reflecting the character of Christ? Considering others of greater value than themselves, dying to their own personal preferences in deference to what would be best for the church and the kingdom of Christ? Now granted, we're all at different levels of spiritual maturity, but more and more, that is what our fellowship should look like as we allow the Spirit of Christ to dwell in us. Paul gives his own personal testimony of Christ-like humility in 1 Corinthians 2, where he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the, the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
Whenever I prepare a message, I always want to have personal application. I feel like if we look at the Word of God and there's no way it, it applies to our life, then it's not of much value. So um, I want to share some personal application for this passage. Uh, my, my brother Craig, uh, he's from this, him and his wife are from the Cincinnati area and they're visiting here this morning. And uh, even though he looks younger and is better looking than me, he is my older brother and two years older and wiser. But we got to share three years in college together in Omaha at UNO. And we had a friend there uh, from the church we went to named Mike that we were buddies together. We hung out a lot. And we had this little game that we played called Who Most Humble? Who Most Humble? Now, all three of us had two-door cars because that's cool. Four doors, uncool. We had two-door cars. And so whenever we were going to go somewhere together, there would be this mad pushing and shoving match to see who could get in the back seat and prove their humility. Uh, if there was a line to get into a movie or something, there'd be a shoving match to see who could be last in line. Prove their humility. Or at a restaurant, the first one to slide into the booth, because obviously that's the position of most humility. Sometimes there might be hand fights over who carried the heaviest box of stuff. Or a race to the counter to see who could pick up the pizza and serve the others. So yeah, that was our Who Most Humble contest. And guess what? That's not a proper application for this passage. It's not. And here's why. That was aggressive behavior. It was a silly game. It was aggressive behavior. Whereas the essence of true humility is letting go. Not aggressive behavior. The essence of true humility is letting go. So how do we reflect the character of Christ in true humility? How do we let go? Well, one of the ways is by, willing, by being willing to lose. By being willing to lose. Um, this week, uh, our house is a bit of a mess. Our kitchen is being redone. And uh, then on Tuesday, our air conditioning failed. And... I tried calling the people we'd used before, and I couldn't get through to them. So I called a different company, and they send a guy out. And uh, quickly, I already knew this, but we discovered that the blower motor was out. And he quoted me a price for a new blower motor, and it was really high. And while he's working on this, I'm in Googling on my PC to see what I can get a blower motor for. I have a degree in electrical engineering technology, and uh, yeah, he was asking for a lot of money on this blower motor. And yet at the same time, I knew that this was one of those situations where God was calling me to be willing to lose. Um, so I swallowed my pride. I did not tell him he was trying to rob us and to get out of my house. I said, okay, you can replace the, the blower motor. And then on Friday it came in, they, and he came over to put it in. And it took him and another guy over two hours to put it in because the wiring wasn't right. It had to have mounts uh, welded on it to get it to go in. He couldn't get the old one out. He couldn't get the pulley off. It was a very difficult task. 
And you know what? If I hadn't listened to the Holy Spirit there, if I hadn't been willing to lose, we still wouldn't have air conditioning because I couldn't have done that. I've also had times in, in relationships in my life where it was really difficult to be willing to lose. Um, after my divorce was finalized, I, I dated a woman for two years that was a, a wonderful woman. And uh, she healed from the difficult divorce she'd been through. And she met another guy. And she broke up with me to date that guy. And at the time, you know what? I knew she was right. We weren't all that compatible. But man, I hated to lose. You know, you just hate it. Um, long time ago at an institute in basic youth conflicts, I was given this definition of meekness. It's yielding my personal rights and expectations to God. Yielding my personal rights and expectations to God. That's being willing to lose. That's the humility of Christ. And the secret to being willing to lose is, that, is trusting in God versus trusting in self. That's the secret to it. When we're willing to lose, we are just trusting. We're putting it all on God. We're trusting in him and not ourselves. Christ was willing to lose. He's God Almighty. He willingly stepped down from that position, came to earth, was mistreated by us, eventually crucified. He was willing to lose. A second application I had for the passage was to be willing to serve. And one of the ways that we can serve that's, I feel like, even more critical now is to show a renewed interest in the people around us, even the people we've known for a long time. Make a point to learn how to talk to them and draw them into deeper conversations. Since COVID, we just haven't been able to communicate all that well. And with technology and all those things, People need to be able to communicate. We need to be able to ask them the questions that get down deeper, that they can share their, their heart with us. We can identify our skills and talents and use them to serve others. Um, I feel like it's one of the things that I've seen in this church that uh, really amazes me sometimes, and it's just pleasing, is how people serve. Uh, people have given rides to other people who don't have vehicles, for months on end. Uh, people have used their gardening skills to make the yard beautiful. Uh, people have used their skills and technology to set it up so that we can do online as well as uh, in-person worship services through this time. People have used their skills and finances to help us in that area. So identify your skills that you have, ways that you can serve with a joyful spirit and serve. It's one of the ways that we can reflect the character of Christ in true humility. And of course, there's the ultimate, get a pickup truck. I mean, don't you need someone with a pickup truck that's willing to help you at different times? Um, before I ever knew my wife, I hauled a stove for her in my pickup truck. And you can see how that worked out for me mighty well. So practical application, if you want to serve, get a pickup truck. Christ came to serve. He came to do what he did so that we could be reconciled to God in the relationship with him that we now enjoy. The third application that I, I had as I thought about this passage 
was be willing to be joyful. Be willing to be joyful. Choose to be a joy to be around. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Ephesians 4.31, Paul writes, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, Christ, in, just as in Christ God forgave you. And there's another passage in Hebrews that I've known was there for a long time, but it continues to challenge me. I find it to be especially convicting in my dealings with our church leadership. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So I'm going to ask, are you a joy or a burden? I sure hope that the things that I say and do here are a joy and not a burden to our pastoral staff. Uh, but you can ask them if you want. When Pastor Evan gets back, just ask him, hey, is Schwarting a joy or a burden? I mean, really. You can ask him. Or you can, you can ask Pastor Garrett today. He's up serving in the sound booth. But uh, God calls us to, to be that. Our leadership is held accountable for how they respond to us. And they carry a heavy burden. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of spiritual warfare which goes with saying that you'll be a, a spiritual leader of people. Christ chose joy. In Hebrews chapter 12, he said, for the joy, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was looking past the pain of the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When by faith we fully realize that we're indwelt with the Spirit of Christ, we will understand that when we have an encounter with someone, they are making contact with a personal representative of Christ. We need this eternal mindset moment by moment as we go through our days. I'm a personal representative of Jesus Christ. You are a personal representative of Jesus Christ. Say it with me. I am a personal representative of Jesus Christ. Let's try it again. I am a personal representative of Jesus Christ. When we're willing to submit to the Holy Spirit's direction in our lives, we become walking representatives of Christ to a dying world. We bring rays of hope where there's nothing but darkness. We bring understanding where there is nothing but confusion. And we bring refreshing humility where there is only selfish ambition and vain conceit. I'd like to invite the, the band to come back up now and to uh, complete our worship service. And I'd like to read this passage that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because it's the essence of who we are in Christ. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against, us, against him. 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <clears throat> 